Okay, y'all are not listening. We need to get started to have time for the quiz at the end. Graded. Yeah. And if you're an elder, you fail the quiz. That's a problem. Thanks, Kelly. I said it last night. Uh, let's see, what am I doing? I got it. You got it? Okay. Hey, Kevin, how about getting here on time after this? Okay, no problem. Well, good morning. Uh, I am your substitute teacher uh, for today. Um, Jack and Sue are with family, and uh, they have uh, their nine-year-old grandson is getting baptized today, so that's, uh, that's an important event, so um, you're stuck with me. Um, you know, Jack is in the midst of uh, Psalm 8, which is a creation psalm, and uh, so I figured uh, Psalm 104, I'd like to revisit this. Uh, you all know that Psalm 104 is like my life, or has been. Um, and so, um, if you turn there, uh, I'll read a couple of verses. We obviously can't cover the whole psalm, but I'll read a couple of verses, and then we'll pray and get started. Psalm 104, excerpts, really. And again, what I want to do is just, I, I just wanted to take a fresh look at this psalm and not be, you know, overwhelmed with commentaries and stuff. I just wanted to, to take some time and look at these verses just to see what they uh, mean. So Psalm 104, I'll read the first four verses. Um, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with splendor and majesty, covering thyself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, he makes the clouds his chariot, he walks upon the wings of the wind, he makes the winds his messenger, flaming fire his ministers. Uh, Father, we just once again come before your word, and, and there's so much depth here, Father, that uh, we, we cannot understand this without you and your Holy Spirit's leading, and uh, so we just humble ourselves and just uh, sit, and we want to sit in front of these verses and uh, for you to teach us, Father. And I just pray that uh, my words would be your words. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, the, uh, most of your translations probably have a subtitle, The Lord's Care Over All His Works. And as I said, this is one of those psalms that talks a lot about uh, creation, uh, and uh, th this, there's, uh, this psalm is near and dear to my heart because when I was a fairly new Christian, I've told some of you this, uh, I went on this Navigator summer training program uh, to uh, Rehoboth, which is a, a, a mission station outside of Gallup, New Mexico. And um, a lot of what we did, we worked with Navajo Indians that summer, but it was, you know, the Navigators, it was Word, 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 and we were in the word. At the time, 
this was the summer of 1970, before my junior year. Uh, I'd been going around with Barb about a year or so, so I was starting to get squared away. Um, the um, president of the Navigators was a guy named Lorne Sani, and he wrote this little booklet, How to Spend a Day with the Lord in Prayer. And so we did that. Uh, we had one day designated where we would, and there's a lot of desert around there, we would pack a lunch and just go to the four winds. And I picked this one sort of a rock and, that I could get up high and think about it. So um, it's funny, when you first start, you, you pick a passage of Scripture. And so I picked Psalm 104. And when you start this, uh, you think, uh, goodness gracious, the whole day? And then uh, after a while, you just you get so much deeper when you've got no other distractions. You just spend all the time in this passage of Scripture. It's really amazing. And you can still find that little booklet. It's online. But, you know, how to spend a day with the Lord in prayer, which is really what this is, a lot of this, whether it's David or some other psalmist, he's really praying uh, through this psalm. So um, the other aspect of this that's interesting is um, that uh, we spent a lot of time with, with Navajos and a lot of kids. We had some camps for, for Navajo children. And the Navajos are fascinating because uh, does anybody know what most Navajos are? Shepherds. Oh, yeah, they are human beings. Thanks for the front row. Uh, <clears throat> we, we've, we've set the table now. We're good. Um, so they're, they're shepherds. Well, who else in Scripture do you know that was a shepherd? David. David, man after God's own heart. And so these Navajos, when you'd share Christ with them, they were deep thinkers because they sit there and watch the sheep all day long. They got no other distractions, and they look at the world much deeper, certainly than we do now, uh, and they just had a real deep approach to the world, and uh, that was fascinating. So it was an interesting summer, but uh, what really <clears throat> sets it for me is this, is this psalm, Psalm 104. Um, the um, subtitle is The Lord's Care Over His Works. And um, again, the author is not listed, but um, maybe David, but it, we can't be specific because the author isn't listed. But there are some parallels. <clears throat> if you look at Psalm 103, just previous, how does it start? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord. O my soul. How does Psalm 104 start? Bless the Lord, O my soul! Exclamation mark. So um, maybe that means that David, I mean, certainly there's a lot of depth here that would, would indicate David, but in all the Psalms. So it could be David, um, but not sure. Um, but it certainly it, there's a lot of depth uh, here in this, in this Psalm. So let's just look at a few of these verses that, that I read. Uh, so, bless the Lord, O my soul. And again, exclamation mark. So what is the soul? Well, it's the inner person. So he's, he's digging deep here. Bless the Lord, O my soul, the inner person, life, mind, heart. And the Lord here, the, the name of the Lord here is Jehovah which is the proper name, Israel's proper name for deity, really, uh, and meaning the self-existent eternal God. That's who he's 
speaking with here, uh, the uh, self-existent eternal God. And you get a little sense, uh, you know, bless the Lord, oh my soul. There's elation here. This is elation at his presence. And so um, there's some excitement here. Um, O Lord, my God, thou art very great. And so he's praying. He's, He's spending time with the Lord who he appears to know. And parts of this, it's like he sees the Lord in some sense. Um, O Lord, my God, thou art very great. And so you you get a feel for his relationship, his walk um, with the Lord and the depth of it. And then he says, thou art clothed with splendor and majesty. Uh, Two words, and they're very closely related. Splendor can be grandeur or glory. Majesty can be magnificence, glory or honor. It's almost like there just aren't enough words to describe his majesty. Um, so, and again, I think what this relays is, the, is that the psalmist sees him in some sense. He sees him because he's describing things that we can kind of relate to, to physical things. Um, so that, that's verse 1. Thou art clothed with splendor and majesty. Um, and you just have to kind of sit in front of these words. You can't really give it much more depth than, than what's written. And then he carries on in verse 2, covering thyself with light as with a cloak. And then right adjacent to that, covering thyself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. What does this sound like? These are also in Genesis 1, where light is created in Genesis 1-3, and then the, the expanse is created in Genesis 1-6 through 8. So Genesis 1-3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Immediately, there was light. Um, let me just, the, the immediacy here is the point. Let me just read a little bit of Psalm 33, just to get a sense of... Um, how things were created by his word. Uh, Psalm 33, 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. So by the word of the Lord, he spoke these things into existence. And then in verse 9, for he spoke and it was done, completed, done. He commanded and it stood fast. So that's the sense here of, of, of God's creative power is he spoke things into existence. Um, so stretching out heaven like a tent curtain and then um, after covering thyself with light as with a cloak. Now I, I've always wondered when these things are written down being recorded by the psalmist, what is he looking at? Uh, all we know is what's written here, but it's pretty magnificent, pretty amazing that he's seeing these things and recording this. Covering thyself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. So again, this is really you know, referencing the creation sequence, light first and then the expanse. Uh, there's a little difference. If you, going back to Genesis 1, if you look at the expanse, uh, then God said, 
let there be an expanse, and God made the expanse. So it's like it's, it's ongoing, and he's like he's, I don't want to lose any students because there's a little physics here, but um, um, it's like he's, he's infusing gravitational potential energy. If you have questions, see me afterwards. I can draw a picture. I know, Stuart, and that's, that's why this is such a great class. Um, so it's, it's like it's a little different than light. He just spoke it into existence because it's part of his nature. He just let it go. Let light be is how it's worded. Here, he's making the expanse. He's providing some extra work uh, to go into this, um, and God made the expanse. Uh, just a little more detail. Uh, covering thyself with light um, as with a cloak um, so, from other passages, we know that, that uh, God is, is, is clothed with splendor and majesty, um, and I won't go through all these, but if you look at Ezekiel 1, we're going to go there in a second anyway, uh, the transfiguration, you know, the Lord uh, in Matthew 17, um, Daniel 7, 9, I'll read that one. Daniel 7, 9 says, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days, God the Father, took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool, and his throne was ablaze with flames. So we'll see references to, to, to fire and temperature in other places. Uh, a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him, the court sat and the books were opened. So a little sense of that glory and, and majesty. Um, so the word um, covering thyself with light as with a cloak. Now, what's a cloak? Well, it could be some of the cross-references talk about it being a dress. Now, we're not going to have any gender confusion here, but, but, but the point of a dress is it's sort of triangular uh, in shape, uh, kilt maybe would be better, right, Rob, for us Irish, uh, Swedish, huh? Athlete. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh, so, um, so the, the sense is, and for one thing, it's important, it's an outer garment, which has really, uh, you know, a relationship with what we view in the universe as where the, the remnant of Genesis 1-3 might be. And so it's an outer garment. Uh, and it has this sort of uh, triangular shape. Uh, it's, it could also be a mantle, which is a loose, sleeveless cloak, curtain, uh, covering. And, um, and so it, you get the sense of, of this, this um, external uh, covering, which might have this triangular uh, shape. Um, it's sort of like if we go down to verse 6. Uh, thou didst cover it, and he's talking about the earth this time, thou didst cover it with the deep, you know, unbounded space-time, the abyss, as with a garment. So there again, there's sort of a little cross-referencing of what, what this garment might be. And so, um, again, what's a cloak? A loose outer garment. Um, and then um, stretching out heaven like a, a tent curtain, uh, there are like 60 cross-references for stretching out or stretching, and, and it's like a, a half and half with, is it current tense or is it past tense? It's really both. So there you get the sense of his upholding 
power and gravitation versus you know the equilibrium that he allow that he creates in the universe. Um, so um, stretching out heaven like a, a tent curtain. This the word here is and it, the tense here is ongoing. So it's like spreading out um, or um, you know, spreading out is probably the best way to say it. And um, and again, this like a tent curtain. What does that really mean? Well, it could be could be like a flat two dimensional surface. It could be the whole tent, which is a a bunch of uh, surfaces around the, the tent. Uh, some indicate you know wall hanging, which would be sort sort of flat or a veil. Um, the curtain of a tent, and the tent itself, maybe. So there's, there's lots of room there to, to explore that. Um, Gwen, can we call up that slide? Again, I don't want to lose anybody. But um, this is not physics class, OK? We're just going to lay that out here. But I thought this was an interesting parallel. This is um, the light cone which was a result of Einstein and Minkowski back at the early, uh, early parts of the last century with the speed of light, trying to come to grips with what light really is. And so this light cone it, is it really from Einstein's professor, uh, Minkowski, who came up with this idea, you can't think about space and time separately. They have to be together as space-time. Here's an example. Um, how long does it take light to get from the sun to the Earth? Eight minutes. So we don't think about that when we look at the sun. We think it's immediate. Oh, yeah, it's getting here right away. No, it's eight minutes. So you can't just think about this light in just in terms of the space that it goes through, but the time that it took, because light is a finite speed. Now it's a finite speed. So, that's it. so think of the center there where the observer is. Think of a flash bulb, like a camera flash bulb. So that's your event and a little blinking there. And uh, so th that flash occurs at that center, the vertex of these two cones. So the flash goes out, the future light cone, so this is time. The axis is space in whatever dimensions you have, and that's time. So space versus time, they have to be combined in this diagram. Um, and so that's the future light cone. And so as time goes on, this light dissipates. Now, if it fully in three plus one, or four dimensions, this would be a light sphere. You know, the light goes out spherically. But this is the best way to kind of depict it to get to isolate some of the components that we want to do. And so that's the future light cone. What's the past light cone? So as time goes on and the flash bulb happened here, then you have that light that continues to dissipate. And so that's the past light cone. See the past light cone? What's the shape of that? Yeah, so I don't know how much you can really connect these things, but it just I thought this is interesting, that the way we depict light is in terms of the light cone. At, and, the, and the sides of the light cone, that's where light propagates. That's at C. The inner part of that light cone is where massive particles, which are slower than the speed of light. And then outside uh, is where you have, have to have speeds greater than the speed of light. And so really what this diagram is about is causality. That's pretty important for us. There is causality, and there was a first cause, you know, the great first cause. And so this really depicts causality. So you ha don't have causality when you go outside that light speed, outside that light cone. 
So light only travels on the surface, the null surface, they call it, of that light cone. But I just thought that it's interesting that the past light cone covering thyself like as light as with a cloak. It's just, it's just an interesting connection. I don't know. Yeah, I know you think my threshold of entertainment is pretty low, but, <laughs> but, but when I looked at this, I thought the past light cone, that's pretty interesting, the shape of that, just in this depiction. So anyway, um, <clears throat> thanks guys for putting the slide up. Uh, that's probably going to get me in more trouble than, than I wanted. But and anyway, th this maybe you get a sense that uh, does anybody really understand light and light propagation? Well, Einstein was one of the first to come to grips with that. Why is it this constant speed c, which is really, really high, you know, 3 times 10 to the 8 meters per second, or 300,000, thousand, no, 3 times 10 to the 8, whatever that is. Yes, Porter. Oh, the spectrum is huge. I mean, this, if we look at, if we want to talk about, thanks guys, appreciate you, you've covered me. Uh, the, if we want to look at the light that's depicted in scriptures, a lot of it is thermal, you know, heat. Well, that's a, a black body spectrum, which is a wide, wide spectrum, like you're saying, for all the, and the, the, the visible spectrum for us is very, very narrow, 400 to 800 nanometers or so, that's it. It's very, very narrow, and whereas the black body spectrum here goes, you know, uh, quantum mechanically, it doesn't really go to zero, but it goes really near the origin of you know, like zero hertz all the way up to gamma rays, x-rays, and beyond. So it is a real broad spectrum if you take all of it into account. Um, <clears throat> so that's just probably more than you wanted to know about um, the, the uh, tent curtain and, and the light cone, but it's, it's kind of fun to think about. Um, in verse 3, he lays the beams, and we're still in creation here. We're still in the primordial universe, which is what he's trying to describe. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. Okay, we spent a lot of time on waters last summer. I won't drag you through that again. But um, waters here is a broader definition than just terrestrial H2O, Okay. And it's almost indescribable, but it's, it's a broader definition. Um, so he lays the beams. So that's beginning of structure, right? For you um, builders in the room, that's laying down structure. You know, you're, you're, um, you're forming, you're, for, you're framing, really. You're framing in a structure. He lays the beams of his upper chambers. So not lower, upper, where he dwells. Um, in the um, waters. And so, in the is interesting, that's the definite article, in the water. So there's something above, above space here that, you know, or at least on the edges of space that he's trying to deal with. Um, uh, the words uh, lays and beams, those are actually the same word um, in, in the uh, Hebrew. Uh, and what it means is to impose timbers, like a roof or a floor, uh, lay beams or joists that are connected, um, and uh, lays beams, that's one word, kara, and uh, the upper chambers, that's also one word in the Hebrew, uh, that's the word aliyah, and it's like, uh, it, it refers to like a stairway or ascent, second story, sky, uh, going up, 
you know, kind of where we, where we pray. I mean, I mean uh, it's, it's, you know, up into higher space, if you will. Um, so chambers, you know, upper chambers. Um, the, uh, again, in the waters, the word waters here is mayim. It's the same word as in Genesis 1-2, waters. So there's something primordial about this, not terrestrial, uh, in, in the context here that we're looking. Um, and in Genesis 1-2, and the Spirit of God was moving or hovering over the surface of the waters. In the first part of that verse, you know, there was darkness, pre-light, over the surface of the deep. So the surface of the deep and surface of the waters are connected by that word uh, surface. Um, so what could this be? Well, it's sort of primordial pre-light, if you will. Um, you know, I would, again, a little physics, but maybe, you know, since we talk about light as photons, particles, maybe this is like pre-photons or wave energy quanta, you know, before they were fully released as light in Genesis 1-3. So again, in Genesis 1-2, the, the surface of the deep, which talks about, um, you know, infinite space, really, the primordial space, and then waters, may, maybe this energy, because the Holy Spirit is, is energizing this. He's hovering over the surface of the waters. Um, and I want to convince you that we're just not talking about terrestrial H2O. Um, in Psalm 148.4, praise him highest heavens. It's kind of what we're talking about, these upper chambers. Praise him highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. So we're way beyond just uh, the, the water as H, just H2O here. Um, so waters above the heavens. So in, um, we're still in verse 3. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. Uh, so uh, there are a couple other cross-references I just want to point you to, and I, I can't spend a lot of time with these, but in Job 26.10, uh, Job records, he has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. What's a boundary between light and darkness? It's the light horizon. You know, we call it a particle horizon in physics where you have photons. Yet that's the boundary between light and darkness. And so he has inscribed a circle. So this, this finite, maybe like in Genesis 1-2, uh, he has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters uh, which is, remember, related to the surface of the deep here. Stay with me. At the boundary of light and darkness. So that boundary is a, is a horizon, really, a horizon. Um, in Psalm 29.3, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters, or over many waters. Um, the voice of the Lord also hews out flames of fire. So we're, we're, we're here to the nature of God seen in his creation, and can we really describe all of this? No, no, but we can try to understand it as much as we can. In Proverbs 8, this is a parallel passage with that Job passage, 2610, Proverbs 8, 27 and 28, when he established the heavens, I, or wisdom, that's what this chapter is about, wisdom was there. When he inscribed a circle on the surface of the deep, or the face of the deep, same word, uh, when the springs of the deep became fixed. So, uh, he, again, this is the inscribing of that beginning point 
uh, where light was, was initially re uh, released. So we're still talking about the creation account. Uh, in Jeremiah 51.16, when he utters his, his voice, there is a tumult, which I guess in this context, the way to describe that would be like a wave disturbance of some kind, like a, a throwing a, a, a pebble in a pond. You have that wave dis disturbance. Um, so when he utters his voice, uh, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens. So again, this is way beyond some local uh, definition or description of light. Uh, in Ezekiel 124, the sound of their, or the angels' wings, were like the sound of abundant waters. There's a connection there. Can't describe it. Uh, like the voice of the Almighty, a sound of tumult. So these are some of the same words that are in this uh, passage that we're looking at. Also in verse 3, he says, He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. And this is, this is just you know, the psalmist praying again, and he's thinking about uh, uh, but God, but this is really allegory or um, repre representing God, which we can't fully describe, who we can't describe, um, uh, as um, with an abstract or spiritual meaning uh, through concrete or material forms, you know, sort of a figurative treatment. That's what he's talking about here, the person of God. You know, the majesty, looking at high clouds. Uh, clouds is chariot, walks upon the wings of the wind. Uh, and um, so, again, this could be some, some figurative or allegory description. And um, moving on to verse 4, he makes the winds his messengers. Again, this is sort of, sort of a, a description of, of God in his greatness and his nature. Um, and then also in verse 4, uh, flaming fire, his ministers. So again, there's, and, and this gets into his uphold, upholding power. And um, so you see these connections being between waters and, and, and fire. Um, so we're talking about his nature here. We're trying to get at his nature. If, if you want to look, or I'll just turn to it, Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4, um, 11 and 12. Let me just read that. Um, and this is, you know, Moses recording uh, when, um, and, and God is speaking, and you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, you know, Mount Sinai, and the mountain burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens, darkness, cloud, and thick gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire, you heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. So then he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. So this is a pretty significant passage here, but um, it's some of the similar description that we've just talked about. Um, mountains burn with fire to the very heart of the heavens, and then uh, he spoke to you from the midst of the fire. So there's that connection in his nature to um, fire or high temperature. Um, down in, in, in verse 24 of chapter 4 in Deuteronomy, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God, which is, is, is just like in Hebrews 12. You don't have to turn there. Let me just do it real quick. Uh, Hebrews 12, this passage is amazing because 
talking about the same, uh, same nature of God here that we're trying to understand. So um, in Hebrews 12, first, verse 18, remember we just talked about Mount Sinai and Moses standing at the foot of it? For you have not come, he's talking, now this is the author of Hebrews talking to believers, for you have not come to a mountain that may be touched and to a blazing fly, fire and to darkness, gloom, and whirlwind. And then down in, starting in verse 26, and his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. So the whole universe. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things in the future, removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. And for our God is a consuming fire, just like the Deuteronomy uh, verse. So there's some interesting connections there. Um, also in, in Hebrews, let me just read it, Hebrews 1.3, And he, the Lord Jesus, is the radiance of his glory. Radiance. Hmm. That kind of harkens back to Ezekiel 1 where you have, uh, well, I'll get to it in a second. The radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his or God's nature. We're trying to understand here. And upholds or and is upholding all things by the word of his power. So just like he created things, he's upholding things by the word of his power. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock. So powerful is the sense here. And uh, let me just quickly highlight a little bit from Ezekiel 1. You have to see these verses. faster, it would be helpful. Okay, Ezekiel 1, and um, let me start at um, verse 26. And this is Ezekiel seeing amazing things. It's Every time we jump into Ezekiel, I think of um, John MacArthur's quote, nobody in his right mind preaches on Ezekiel. So, there's some amazing visions and things here and, and some good things to, to think about, really. Um, so back in verse 4 of Ezekiel 1, as I, And as I looked, Ezekiel, behold, a storm wind was coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing forth continually and a bright light around it. And in its midst, something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire. That's the thermal spectrum that we get from the sun, the heat of a fire. It's that very broad black body spectrum um, that the, the, the cosmic microwave background may be the remnant of Genesis 1-3. Um, that's a whole other study. But uh, there's some connections here with, with, with thermal radiation. So that's verse 4. If you go to 26, now 126. Now above the expanse, and again, there's a lot of description in the middle here. Uh, but now above the expanse that was over their heads... Um, the angels, there was something resembling a throne. Who sits on a throne? Yeah. So like lapis lazuli, you know, deep blue sapphire 
stone, and on that which resembled a throne, high up, was a figure with the appearance of a man. Now, who is that? It's the pre-incarnate Christ here that Ezekiel is seeing a vision of. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all, without, all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire, and there was a radiance around it. Genesis, or, or, I mean, uh, Hebrews 1.3. There was a radiance around him, or the transfiguration, as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds, which is, the rainbow is kind of a broad spectrum, remember? As the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. So how many times removed can we be? Okay, so this is the appearance of the surrounding radiance, the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the, of the Lord. You can't completely get there. You know, this is the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So there's some parallels here with, with Psalm 104 that I wanted to, I wanted to point out. Um, so that's really the first uh, four verses, ending with flaming fire, his ministers. We've seen some of that, how he upholds things. Um, now, uh, let me just skip ahead. There's some other verses that I want to capture here in, in Psalm 104. Um, in verse 19, he made the moon for the seasons... The sun knows the place of its setting. Now, I know you science smart adults in the, in the group are going to say, well, I mean, the sun's the, the center of the solar system, you know, the Copernican. Okay, we'll use the earth as man's reference frame, okay? So leave me alone on the Copernican stuff. So he's just observing the moon for its seasons, and the sun knows the place of its setting. Okay, we know the Copernican and stuff, so... We're good with that. So that's what the, the sun appears to man in his reference frame on the surface of the earth. What do you see from this? Order. There's an order about the universe. It just doesn't spring up on its own. And it's, and it's also that the, that the universe is made for man, us. How could this stuff be? I mean, he made the moon for seasons to show us, and the sun knows the place of its setting. This is all created for us, um, really the pinnacle of his creation. Um, also in verse 24, O Lord, how many are thy works? In wisdom thou hast made them all. So the, the word for Lord here again is Jehovah. Jehovah the Lord, the proper name of deity, uh, which is Yahweh, deity himself, Yahweh, the name of the God of Israel. So what do we see here with Jehovah? relationship, uh, which, again, in his state of prayer that he's in, this is the relationship. Works, uh, that's pretty self-explanatory, but, you know, um, there were some interesting, you know, transactional activity, works, uh, product or property, or needlework. I, I threw that in for Barb because she's a big embroiderer. But, but that's the sense you get is this fine handiwork or needlework. Uh, in wisdom, which is the word hakma or kakma, skill, skillful, skill in war. Another way to word it would be technical work, um, which is the Brown Driver Biggs uh, term for that, um, or prudence or 
smart administrating, that kind of thing. Um, and now down in verse 30, just to sort of cap off the, the Psalm 104 study, I, just to put it in the proper perspective, in verse 30, thou didst send forth thy spirit, they, all creatures and all creation, are created. So the spirit here is, uh, we kind of know what this is, but it's, it's also the word for wind, breath, mind, or spirit. The spirit of the living God is what this is referring to, the Holy Spirit, the energy of life. Um, it never is referred to as a depersonalized force. It's a person, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. And it also has to do with breath. How did he create everything? He spoke it into existence with his breath, which is also the Holy Spirit. So really, the, the, the sense here is that creation is not natural. I mean, evolution is a joke. I mean, it's not even a source. It's just some vague pattern of, of how some people view everything around us. Creation is not natural, but supernatural and spiritual. And that's why this verse 30 is so important. Thou didst send forth thy spirit, they are created. That's how things are created, by his Holy Spirit, just like in Genesis 1-2. Um, so, how do we summarize this? Well, this, this really is, is a commentary on the Genesis 1 creation account, um, which we've referred to a couple of times. It also shows the psalmist, um, his relationship, his elation over this relationship with his Lord. Um, and it's like in prayer, he sees him, at least in some extent. He has some observations of, of what the Lord is. Um, and again, creation is supernatural by wisdom. Um, he did it. In, by wisdom, he created all these things, not random chance or chaos. God, I love these people waxing eloquently about chaos. Seriously? <laughs> No, I don't even want to say any more. I'll probably get in trouble. So the, the supernatural creation, which is really discussed here in Psalm 104. Uh, purposefully, I didn't leave much time for questions. Uh, but here we go. What's that? How much time do you have? Um, if, if, if nothing else, the takeaway should be just the depth of this. Now, granted, you know, when I was sitting out in the desert with my sack lunch and spending the entire day in this, you know, psalm, it, you, you, you learn from it. You meditate on it. You see some of the depth of the Lord, the creator, in, in going through this psalm. So um, it's a great thing. I wish in our hustle and bustle of life, now we would just take a day and, and do this and just spend the whole time. And again, after about an hour, you think, gosh, the whole day, can I do this? And then after about five hours, ooh, this is really cool. Uh, so um, at any rate, um, this is just, you know, one psalm that I've kind of tucked in the middle of Psalm 8 for uh, Jack to complete um, next week. So um, he's going to take a few weeks, actually. So uh, any other questions or comments? Uh, and I just, I, I, that's why I would like to come back and meet you last week and, and 
It's a majesty. We can't even grasp it. We, we can't even get there. We can sort of approach it and, and get a little bit of a feel for it, but it's just uh, beyond us. Dan, would you close us?